Reskins, you guys are dismissed, and ushers, you guys can clear the aisle ways. Uh, I do have a couple of announcements, um, and they're off. Uh, I do have a couple of announcements before we jump into the sermon. First, welcome my friend Tim Turner on the mandolin. That was awesome, wasn't it? Um, uh, a little Appalachian vibe to this Christmas. I'm, I'm digging it. Uh, we desperately need volunteers tomorrow night, uh, so I'll start this sermon off with an ask. Uh, so for years and years, V100 has used this old Capitol Theater to host a showing of uh, a Christmas story, and it's an opportunity for them to partner with the Mountain Mission, and admission's free, they just charge people food at the door, and so they fill up every year, you know, four or five big barrels of food uh, that is really helpful for Mountain Mission, and so I was not going to be the one to kick them out and stop doing that, and that's a helpful time, so uh, last year when we first took over this building, uh, they did it, and they're doing it again tomorrow night. So uh, basically, the biggest thing we're going to need help with is at the beginning of the show, uh, we sell concessions up in the, the mezzanine, and it is crazy because there's 400 people, and they all want popcorn right before the movie starts. So if you'd like to come and sling popcorn, uh, we'd love to have you tomorrow night. Uh, secondly, I would love to invite you to our Christmas Eve service. It will be brief. It starts at 6 o'clock. It won't be... Uh, more than an hour, we're going to sing uh, familiar Christmas hymns and songs, and I'll give a brief, um, a brief sermonette just to lead you into reflection on, on just Christmas and all that it is and all that it means for us on Christmas Eve. So if you'd love to be here, we'd love to have your Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock on, you'll never guess, December 24th. So throughout Advent, we've reflected on how to live in the space between Christ's coming in the incarnation and his coming at the end of time. We began our series considering the truth that we live by faith. Last week, we considered that we live in hope. We live with joy. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. We live with unshakable joy that flows from an unwavering hope that we are heirs of an unshakable kingdom. But faith, hope, and joy are nothing without love. In his letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul famously makes just such, just such a point. You can have it all. You can speak in the tongues of men and angels. You can have prophetic powers, unmatched wisdom, perfect insight. You can have faith so strong that it moves mountains. You can give everything you have away. You can even be burned at the stake as a martyr. But if you have not love, it means nothing. He ends that famous passage by saying love never ends. Prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we now know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes, the imperfect will pass away. The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know in full, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, Paul says. All these things we've been talking about in this series, they abide, they matter, they last. They're part of God's kingdom. 
But the greatest of these is love. This morning, I want us to understand that the mission of the Son of God flows from the love of God. The mission of the Son of God flows from the love of God. The mission of the Son of God, meaning the reason for His first coming, the reason for His second coming, and this grand story of the renewal of all things for the praise and glory of God exists, flows from the love of God. God's rescue mission for humanity happens because of God's love, through God's love, and for God's love. Because of God's love, through God's love, and for God's love. Let's jump into that. John chapter 3, a text that is familiar to many of you. Uh, John 3.16 obviously is, is among the most famous in verses in the Bible. It probably is the most famous verse in the Bible, and rightly so. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Before we jump right into that verse and into that section specifically, I want a little bit of context from John chapter 3. Jesus is conversing with a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, an influential Pharisee. He comes to him by night. wonder why he would come by night, because he doesn't really want people to know he's coming to talk to this Jesus fellow. Essentially, he tells Jesus, listen, we know you're a teacher from God. No one can do the things that you're doing if God's not with him. Jesus famously responds, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What? <laughs> Nicodemus says, how? How can one be born again? Like, that's like the epitome of things you do once in your life, right? Like, I've been born. How can I be born again to see God's kingdom? Jesus teaches you must be born of water and of spirit. Well, how can this be? Jesus begins to explain. He says, you're a teacher of the law of Israel, and you don't get it. What I'm telling you is true. And only I, only the Son of Man, truly understands and is able to share. No one has seen God. No one knows the things of God except he who has been with God. No one's been to heaven except he who's come down from heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know this truth. I can share this truth, okay? And just as Moses lifted up a serpent in the desert so that the people could see and believe so too must the Son of Man be lifted up that anyone who looks to Him may have eternal life. So there's this plan unfolding where the second birth is tied to the raising up of the Son of Man that everyone who looks to Him may have eternal life. So why and how is this going to happen? Why and how is eternal life for all who believe going to happen? From John 3.16 this morning, we'll make the case that it happens because of God's love, through God's love, and for God's love. Let's read that text that Molly read so well just a moment ago. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness 
rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, the bulk of our sermon is going to be just unpacking verse 16, and then we're going to summarize all that follows verse 16 in one sort of really helpful sentence. For God so loved the world. The rescue plan for humanity happens because of God's love. Point one, because of God's love. God is not compelled to love by anything but himself. Right? Love does not rise from anywhere outside of God. Our scriptures teach in 1 John 4, 8 that God himself is love. He is the fount of love. That is the, he is the fount of love because love flows from who he is. It's in God's nature to love because he is love. God's not then compelled by any outside force to give his love. He gives his love freely because that's who he is and what he does. We see here the object of God's love. For God so loved the world. This might be surprising to Nicodemus if this is happening in conversation. It may be an editorial comment that John has given. It may be happening in conversation. Either way, it would be surprising for a guy like Nicodemus. It would be surprising for a guy like Nicodemus because the Old Testament scriptures are ripe with references to God's love for Israel, God's love for Israel, God's love for Israel. And there is an undercurrent of God's love for the nations, but it's not explicitly clear to most practicing Jews at that moment in space and time. A God who loves righteous Israel is not hard to understand, but a God who loves the world, the evil, nasty, dirty, vile, corrupt, and sinful world, a God who loves that world, well, that's a different situation. God loves the world not because of what it is, but because of who he is. Because of God's love, the world can know love. If there is no God, there is no love. It's so crucial for us to know this morning that God's love for us is not grounded in who we are, but God's love for us is grounded in who he is. God loves the world not because of what it is, but because of who he is. The rescue mission of the Son of God is launched because God is love. The rescue plan for all of humanity happens through God's love. God's love gives. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. God's love is not a vague emotion. God's love is not a mere sentiment. It's not just happy feelings, like God's not sitting in heaven with his uh, trapper keeper and a sharpie drawing world with little hearts all around it and thinking about how cute that it looks. His love is sacrificial. His love is costly. In God's love, God does. In God's love, God acts. In God's love, God gives. God is glorified in his giving. That means God is shown to be wonderful. God is shown to be great. God is shown to be powerful. God is shown to be incredible in his giving. What sort of giving does the text have in view here? The object of that giving is the Son. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not for God so loved the world that he gave a methodology by which man could live a little bit better and hopefully attain nirvana, hopefully attain happiness, hopefully attain peace, hopefully attain eternity. But God didn't just give us a plan. God didn't just give him a manual, us a manual. God didn't just give us sort of a medication. God sent us his son. God doesn't send at no cost to himself. God sends at great cost to himself. God sends his son in two senses in our text this morning. He sends him into the world, which the church annually celebrates at Christmas. That God has come from heaven, God from God, light from light, Jesus has revealed the heart of God to us. The eternal second person of the Trinity has wrapped himself in flesh and he's come to earth. As Eugene Peterson translates it in the message, or paraphrases it in the message, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. We celebrate every year God sending Jesus into the world. Not long from now we'll celebrate Good Friday, and we celebrate the second sense of God's sending. God sends his son into the world. God sends his son ultimately to a sinner's cross. The incarnation was the beginning of the humiliation that would climax in the crucifixion. The babe who would be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lied in a manger would not long from now be laid in burial linens and lied in a tomb. Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, came to earth that we might live. He came to earth that he might die. I think St. Augustine captures the duality of God's sending, is sending him into the world and is sending him to the cross in this famous poem. Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false, that the teacher might be beaten with whips, the foundations be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Through God's love, the world experiences God's gifts, namely his best gift, his only son, which leads me then to the purpose of sending his son, point three, for God's love. Because of God's love, this rescue plan for all of the world is put in motion. Through God's love, the sending of the son sets it into action. And this all happens for God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Son of Man would be lifted up so that whoever sees him, whoever believes in him, might have life and life abundant. 
God would give his son the best that heaven had so that just all anybody can live. Don't miss the beauty of this text. God loves just whoever. God loves the guy that just pops in. God loves the guy that no one else loves. God loves the richest and the poorest. God loves the prettiest and the ugliest. God loves us all. Whosoever will come, God stands ready to receive. God is sharing the highest of heaven with the lowest of earth, that the same love God shared with himself might be shared among us. Don't miss this. I'll say it again. God is sharing the highest of heaven with the lowest of earth that the same love God has experienced in himself for all of eternity we might experience with him. See the picture that God is love before there was a world, before there was anything. There is God and there is love and inside the Godhead is perfect community and the essence of perfect community is love. And for all of eternity, God existed perfectly in fullness with who he is, but out of an overflow of his love, he created a world. He created a larger community that the love he shares in his community may be shared in that community. He created a stage and a theater that the whole of creation might see and savor the love that he has shared within himself for so long. God is sharing the highest of heaven with the lowest of earth that the same love he's always experienced we may taste and love today. Through the sacrifice of God's Son, at great cost to God, we are invited into that eternal love of Almighty God. This is eternal life, knowing God and loving God, now and forever. God is not just sharing good feelings with the world. God is sharing the essence of love. God is sharing love himself. If you get no other phrase from the sermon, get this one. God is sharing the love from which all creation sprung with all of creation anew. God is sharing the love from which all of creation sprung with all of creation anew. How can that be? I shared a moment ago a little bit of the story of all things, right? where God exists perfectly as himself. And from that overflow of his perfection, he creates a world that his glory may be put on display, that all may see how worthy he is, that his creation might find their joy in giving him glory. And he gives glory by showing how good he is and that all things would exist in perfect harmony and perfect peace, as the Hebrews would say, perfect shalom, where all is right and God is all. But the beginning of Scripture tells God's unfolding story, and it's not long where we mess that up. See, experiencing the love that God has wasn't enough for us in our sin. We believe the lies of the enemy, and we turn from God. As a result of that, the world has fallen. 
Sin has entered into the world. Disobedience is a reality with which we must reckon. A loving God must now punish sin. He must bring justice to a world that's broken, a world that has fallen from grace. How will this righteous God uphold justice, and how will this righteous God love? How can this righteous God love sinners like me, sinners like us? At the cross of Jesus Christ, love and justice kiss. The perfect solution to that dilemma is solved. Jesus reveals to us the love of God, and Jesus satisfies for us the wrath of God, that the creation might once again experience the love of God in fullness. What incredible love this is. How deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turned his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Look this morning, church. Look at the man upon the cross. Look this morning at our sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, listen this morning to our mocking voices calling out among the scoffers. It was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought us life. We know that it is finished. We will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but we will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should we gain from his reward? Why should we win in this? We're the losers. We cannot give an answer. But this we know with all our heart, his death has paid our ransom. We live because of God's love. He loved us so we can know love. We live through God's love. It's in his giving of his son that we can have life. In his coming and in his dying, the love of God is displayed. The justice of God is upheld. And sinners like us can know God and love God intimately and personally. We can experience the love of the Father that before space and time only the Son had ever known. We live for God's love to experience it and to extend it. We were saved that we might live in the love of God and that we might extend the love of God to others. We live because of God's love. We live through God's love. We live for God's love. All of life is an experiment in knowing God's love and resting in it. Verses 17 through 21, I'll read briefly and we'll sum up in, in one sentence. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the judgment by which they're condemned. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. 
For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If I were to sum up verses 17 through 21 in one sentence, I would say this. Jesus came to save an already condemned world who loved the darkness more than light. Jesus came to save an already condemned world who loved the darkness more than light. Now the text is clear. Jesus did not come to condemn sinners. Why? Because we're condemned already. Sometimes we can misuse that text. Like, Jesus came to love and not condemn, so why should we ever say anything is wrong? That's not the idea that the text has in mind here. The idea that the text has in mind is that the world, all of us, are sinners. (laughs) The world, all of us, stand condemned because every single one of us has turned from God. Every single one of us has sinned. Whether it's a culturally taboo sin or a culturally accepted sin, none of them are really accepted in the kingdom of God. So we all stand condemned before a holy and just God. Jesus did not come to condemn us further. (laughs) He didn't come to say, you guys are in trouble and have fun in hell. Goodbye. Jesus saw us in our state of condemnation and came to save us. We can't miss that. We can't get that confused. In our sin, we are already condemned to death because our sins are against an infinitely holy God. Sin leads to death as crime leads to punishment. And why are we condemned? Because this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness. Jesus, the light, came to earth, piggybacking on the language from John chapter 1. And we weren't interested in the light because we really loved the darkness. And that begs the question, why did we love the darkness? Because the darkness is like our fig leaves. Here's what I mean. When Adam and Eve sinned, there's that language that we read a little bit ago, right? In the cool of the night, they heard the Lord God walking. And it's like one of the most ominous verses of Scripture. I always think about, you know, on Monday nights when I was growing up, and I would want to watch Monday night football. And so I would roll out of bed. I'd army crawl down the hallway. I'd slide behind the couch, and I'd stick my head out, and I'd watch Monday Night Football. And you know that feeling when you've been caught? You hear the, and you know you better have a plan, because you're about to get busted. And every time I read Genesis 3, I think of that, right? I think of that, oh no, Adam and Eve realize we've just done something really bad. We've just done the thing we're really not supposed to do, and there's going to be serious consequences. And as they hear the Lord God walking to them, they try to hide. (laughs) They try to hide that they're naked. And then God says, how did you know you were naked? Someone tell you? 
and they tried to cover their shame with fig leaves. They tried to hide it from God. See, we like darkness because we think that when we're in the darkness, we can sort of hide from God. That maybe he's up there and I'm down here and I can just keep doing my thing and I don't have to think about the things of God. I don't have to think about the things the preacher says. I don't have to think about the things the Bible says. I'm just going to keep doing me. And there's this implicit like, if I just stay in the darkness long enough, it's all going to somehow work out. We don't want the light because the light shows us who we really are. The light shows us the consequences of our sin. But here's what Jesus wants us to understand. The light didn't come to show us our sin, to show us how bad we are. The light came to show us our sin and then show us how loved we are. The light has come to expose us so that we might not be condemned, left in the state we're already in, but that we might be healed. Jesus then calls us to leave the darkness and walk in the light. And you walk in the light, and when you're walking in the light, you're demonstrating that your lives are being carried out in God. That in God is like, it's holistic, like in the love of God, in the life of God, that we're living in the light. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever the lowest of lows in the world might believe in the highest of heaven that together we might enjoy what only God has. Jesus came to save an already condemned world who loved the darkness more than light. But that light, church, is good news for us because that light shows us where we're sick. It shows us where we're broken. And Jesus stands ready to heal us. Jesus stands ready to forgive us. And Jesus calls us to walk in the light. Res kids, uh, can you tell them to please um, come on down? Nicodemus uh, came to Jesus by night. He didn't want to be seen. You know what I mean? And maybe you came to Jesus by Christmas. Meaning, you know, I'll come, I'll come this morning and I'll sit there and I'll listen uh, to whatever, whatever they have to say. My words for you, if you're here this morning and you're, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian um, know that you're included in the whole world <laughs> and you're just the kind of whoever that God has in mind to receive salvation. Know that in your current state apart from Christ, you love the darkness and you stand condemned because of that. Hear this though, God sees you. God knows you. God created you. God loves you. The light hasn't come to show you how bad you are so you can feel guilty and depressed. <laughs> the light has come to show you your sin that he may show you the way of salvation. In your current state apart from Christ, you love the darkness and you're not condemned by his coming. You are already condemned by your sin. God knows you. God loves you. God's calling you to look to Jesus and live, to look to him through whom you have eternal life. 
Uh, I was just in- incredibly encouraged this week because I-, I share a lot with folks, and you know, it feels like many times people just aren't interested or they, they, they shrug you off. Uh, there's a good friend of mine that I've been thinking about, praying for, sharing with for years, man, years. And um, I saw him, and we caught up, and we just started talking, and it just starts clicking, you know, like stuff that I've been praying about, stuff that we've been talking about. It's just, there, it's, it's flowing, and it's happening, and I can see God drawing this person to himself. And we scheduled another time to talk more specifically about, about several of the things we talked about. And I'm reminded that, that that guy is a part of that whoever that Jesus has in mind. That guy is known by God, he's loved by God, and that guy is being called into life with God. You might be like that guy here, that someone's been praying for you, and for some reason you came. This morning, know that you can look to the Son of God and live. Believers, my charge to us as we wrap up this time in Advent is that we may live by faith. We may live with an unshakable hope that gives rise to an unshakable joy. And that more than anything else, we may live lives of love. That love would be the oxygen we breathe. That as we walk in God's love, we experience God's love. As we experience God's love, we extend God's love to one another in the fellowship and to those outside the fellowship. And we live in this way so that the world may know Our God is the God of love and that the world may believe in the one he has sent.